I'm Quinn Lovecraft, and this is 31, a podcast about the strange things that stick with us. A brief content warning that I will be playing some clips of recordings today that some may find disturbing. They're not violent in nature or anything like that. I just wanted to give fair warning. That being said, let's go. Nineteen eighty nine. One morning, as Bill Sudbrink and his brother are driving north through West Virginia, Bill spots a bright disc in the sky. He has a feeling it's something special, but he can't get his camera out in time to catch it on film. But now he's on alert, and just after noon, as they're passing through Maryland, he sees something again. A flash of something similar enough to convince his brother to stop the car and get out. Their eyes on the sky, camera in hand, they wait for it to appear a third time. And it does. He gets about four seconds of the flickering anomaly on videotape. We know about this incident because Bill sent his videotape to Dr. Maccabee for analysis. Dr. Maccabee, who's now in his 80s, is an optical physicist, and in 1989 was the Maryland State Director for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He published analysis of the video in the May 1990 edition of the MUFON UFO Journal. The article is short, and he doesn't make any huge claims, but he does mention how strange it is that you can see bugs, sun reflections, and other regular parts of the environment in the video, but the bright, flickering light doesn't match any of them. It seems to be something else entirely. Bill Sudbrink's experience stayed with him, and he remained fascinated by all things extraterrestrial. A few years later, Bill's son Steve is home in New York, preparing for his wedding. Steve expected to have family in town, because, I mean, it's his wedding, after all. So he didn't think much about it when his brother Gary, who's normally stationed in San Antonio in the Air Force, pulls up in a car next to him. Gary makes some kind of strange, distorted faces at Steve as though, like, trying to get his attention or something, and then drives off. (laughs) But the weird thing is, while it makes sense that Gary would be in town for the wedding, Gary wouldn't have had his car with him. He would have left it in San Antonio. He always flies into New York. So who was the man who looked just like Gary, driving a car just like Gary's, making faces at Steve? Because it couldn't be Gary. Well, if you've ever been involved with a wedding, you know there are a million things going on at the same time. So Steve probably rationalized this experience away and stayed focused on his nuptials. He only brought it up to Gary when a year later, the topic of Gary Sudbrink's doppelganger suddenly became relevant again. 1993. Gary Sudbrink has applied for a three-day leave from his post in San Antonio, and he gets it. He's never really sure that his request is going to be approved, so he didn't make a whole lot of plans in advance. He really didn't make any plans in advance. When he gets his three-day leave approved, he thinks, oh, I'm going to use this time to surprise my friends and family back home on Long Island. But the day he leaves for Long Island he begins to have increasingly strange experiences. When he arrives at the airport, the last name on his ticket is the last name of a girl that he's dating at the time. His first name, her last name, she's not with him. Okay, that's weird, but maybe it's a clerical error. Then this guy comes up to him and seems to be like making small talk. He's like, hey, what's your name? Where are you going? Where are you from? And Gary's talking with him. And then the guy pulls out a pad of paper and a pen and he starts writing this down. Gary's like, why are you writing this down? 
guy says, oh, don't worry, you're not in trouble or anything. Gary's like, well, yeah, I'm not in trouble. Why would I be in trouble? It really weirds him out, but the guy doesn't follow him onto his plane. Gary boards his plane, and he thinks that's the end of it. But then a different guy sits down next to Gary. Same sort of thing. Seems like small talk. What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you going? Pulls out a pen and a pad of paper. And Gary's like, okay, now this is really weird. The stewardess comes over to the guy with the pen and paper and says, this isn't your seat, sir. Please move. So the guy moves. And now Gary is feeling a little targeted. So when he lands safely in New York... He gives a friend back in San Antonio a call and says, hey, I think these guys might be trying to rob my apartment. He says, I don't really have anything valuable there, but I don't know. It seemed weird that they were trying to see how long I'd be out of town for. Can you just check on my place and make sure it's okay? And his friend does and everything was fine. So Gary's with his dad and his mom on Long Island later that night when he decides to call up his buddy Mike to tell Mike, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to hang out? Mike picks up and Mike's like, oh, yeah, sure. But like, I knew you were going to be here because you called me yesterday and you said, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to hang out? Gary says, what? No, I didn't call you yesterday. I didn't even know I was going to be here yesterday. Mike says, yeah, no, you called me. You said you were going to be in town. You just kind of sounded like you had a cold. And Gary's like, I don't have a cold. I didn't call you. So Gary has no idea who called Mike pretending to be him. But they're about 15 seconds into this conversation when Gary sees that he has a call waiting. He takes the call and the person on the other line is so strange that Gary runs to the answering machine and hits record. Yeah, who's this? Steven, are you playing games with me or what? Steven, if you're playing games, I'm going to kick your ass. So how long are you going to be back from Texas? Huh? You're being impersonated by the other voice. Yeah, this is you, Steven, you idiot. You're pissing me off. Jerk. I'm going to get you once. Let's see what it says. Review. One new call out of area. Is Steven out of the area? Wait, say that again? Wait, hold on. Is Steven out of the calling area or what? What do you mean you don't know? He's in Queens. I don't know who the fuck. This goes on for several more minutes. The caller repeats the same questions. Is Gary Sedbrink there? So how long are you going to be back from Texas? Just like that, which is a question that Gary points out. How long am I going to be back from Texas? That question doesn't make any sense. He doesn't get anything new from the caller. But then his dad gets on the line and asks a question that seems to change everything. Are you an intergalactic uh, person? Are you a space alien? The caller stops responding, and the subrings think that he has hung up. It's pretty hard to hear over the dial tone, but Gary caught himself on tape sort of laughing in disbelief and saying, I'm calling Mike back. The mysterious caller would ring the Sudbrinks three more times, twice more that evening, and once the next night. The second call introduces a few new phrases from the voice. They're hard to hear at first, but finally Gary starts to pick up on them. Okay, hold on. Now, who are you? Keep an eye in the sky, he said. Keep an eye in the sky? Yeah. 
Okay, hold on. Uh, say that, repeat that again. His dad has clearly taken this as confirmation that he is indeed speaking with an alien. Bill takes the phone and says, Hello. I had a uh, UFO experience in West Virginia, which you probably know. But the caller doesn't build on this yet. And the third call actually reintroduces the doppelganger idea in a roundabout way. It was show double from me. But the fourth call makes no bones about it. I'm staying right here. Is this a joke or what? something I've been listening to you and I've had contacts with you government interference you have please explain what type of interference from the dark side of the moon. Okay. Um, what branch of the government? What, uh, what should I do? And that was it. The recordings got to Linda Howe, an investigative journalist and ufologist associated with MUFON, who then got the story on Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM radio show. It disappeared for several years until Gary met Sue Swiatek at a conference where she was speaking on Men in Black. By this time, Gary had started connecting the dots. He felt like the men at the airport may have been Men in Black, trailing him, because of these UFO encounters that were about to surround Gary, and maybe already had been, if we are to believe Steve. In 2006, Sue told Gary's story and shared the phone calls as a part of her Men in Black talk at a MUFON-sponsored conference. Her whole lecture is still on YouTube, but the calls only started to get more popular in the last few years, largely thanks to paranormal investigator Justin Bamforth, who takes particular interest in Men in Black stories. So what are we supposed to make of these calls? I know many of you are not willing to accept that they are from aliens or Gary's doppelganger or some strange combination of both. And look, I get it. I like to pick things apart and try to debunk them. Call it a fun exercise, call it a defense mechanism, 
if I can explain away the calls as a prank, then they're not so scary. So I will go over a few things that people have pointed out, ways in which the calls could be man-made. The first is that even in the early 90s, there were handheld recorders that could distort your voice, often by slowing it down. If you speed up the caller's voice, it does resemble the voice of, well, I don't know specifically who, but it does just kind of sound like a guy. American, but not with the strong Long Island accent of Gary or his father. The few repeated phrases could also point to an economy of recording. Maybe there wasn't much bandwidth, or maybe recording, distorting, and playing the voices was labor-intensive, so it was kind of hard to do in real time. There's also the line of questioning. The first call seems to play on this doppelganger idea. It's only when Gary's dad asks, Are you an intergalactic uh, person? that the calls begin to mention anything about space. In other words, the caller seems to be adapting his game in real time. If this is a hoax or prank, I do not think that Gary is behind it. You can tell the irritation on the phone calls sounds very real. And it's kind of hilarious. I would actually watch a whole movie about peeved Long Islanders trying to get an alien to just get to the point. Gary has also done some recent podcast interviews, most notably with Paranormal Brew and Mysterious Brews. He mentioned there that he was not scared of these calls. He was excited by them. And you can tell. It's like he's glad he finally got to be a part of the same club that his dad and his uncle were a part of, and it seems like it's become a big part of his identity. He comes across as someone who now really does want to believe. And even though through several calls he does seem to think that the culprit is his brother Steve messing with him, something happened between that first call and now to move him off of that theory. Maybe the shift happened even during the call when his dad said, How do I know it's not Steven? It's not Steven. So the question then is, if Gary wasn't behind it, then who? It would have to be someone who knew Gary was in town for a surprise visit, but it sounds like most of those people who knew that were in the room with him. Or were his friend Mike, who shouldn't have known that he was in town in advance. Which means if Mike is behind it, there's a whole other mystery of who called Mike under the pretense of being Gary. I mean, overall, I think we just don't have enough information to solve this, and it's not really our business to solve. Gary is aware of the theories that these calls are a prank, but he is understandably pretty irritated by the idea. He says that to call the calls a hoax ignores the context around them. I believe he's referring to all of the other strange events, from his father's UFO sighting to the mysterious encounters with the men in the airport. If the calls were a prank, then what of everything else? And that needs to be a rhetorical question. Even if these calls are a prank played on a family that was already primed to believe, we should appreciate them for what they are. Whatever they are. I mean, hey, between the slowed-down voice and the strange phrasing, they are more creative and disturbing than pretty much any creepy, spooky movie I've seen. So you can share these and talk about them, but Definitely do not bother the Sudbrinks with any theories that aren't alien-related. I mean, every family has lore. It makes life more interesting. And some things you just don't touch. And if these calls were from aliens who have been trying to get a message to the Sudbrinks after so many years of just missing each other like spaceships in the night, then I hope someday the intergalactic beings and the Sudbrinks finally get to connect with and understand each other. Thank you so much for listening to 31. As always, I will put my complete list of sources in the show notes. But if you are interested in hearing the interviews with Gary Sudbrink, you can check out the Paranormal Brew podcast and the Mysterious Brews podcast. Also, MUFON has a ton of resources out there. So thank you, MUFON, for 
sharing the Sudbrinks stories. Thank you to the Sudbrinks for sharing their story. And if you want to hear all 15 minutes of the phone calls, because I had to cut a lot out, I recommend checking out Strange Beacons on SoundCloud. The phone calls are many different places on the internet, but Strange Beacons put all four phone calls into one 15-minute audio file. If you are interested in the story, I recommend just sitting down, hitting play, and listening to all 15 minutes back to back. It is a wild ride. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow and every day in October. You can find extra content about today's episode and the other episodes on the official Instagram at 31pod31. That's at 31pod31. I'll see you tomorrow. Extraterrestrial communicating rhymes. I've been cropping the fields. Not fooled by the looks. I stay going on fields. It's not possible. Like the optionals to get home. You stay chasing the mule.